Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. I have figured out what position I want in the federal government. You know how we've spent a lot of this podcast with me saying I want to be president, I want to be Supreme Court, justice, I want to be all these things. No, I want to be the head of the GSA because apparently as the head of the GSA, I can stop the government in its tracks. (laughs) And I want that power. Okay. Uh, listeners, for those of you who don't uh, uh, know uh, the meaning of the acronym GSA, it stands for General Services Administration. And basically, they are the federal government's landlord. Okay? Yeah, think of them as facilities management. If you yeah. want to get into a building that's locked, you call the maintenance guy, right? And you say, hey, maintenance dude, come down here and let me in. And he comes with his big circle of keys. Apparently, the head of the GSA has an enormous circle of keys. Yes. They basically manage the federal government's wide-ranging uh, property listings around the world. But more specifically, Nia's uh, uh, making reference to the fact that there are a number of federal laws that give the um, uh, director of the General Services Administration the authority to effectively start the transition from one presidential administration to the next. And that's going to be the focus of today's podcast episode, uh, our uh, friendly listeners, uh, presidential transitions, uh, and more specifically, the, shall we say, less than smooth, perhaps bumpy transition that is underway from the Trump administration to the incoming Biden administration. Yeah. Can I just say that it's bonkers that one person gets to say "Mm, no? And that can be the end of the discussion because apparently it's not even so much. Okay. So let me back up and say, this is my understanding and I could be wrong. So I'm willing and happy to be corrected. But part of transitions is giving people access to physical workspace. Like here's your desk and here's your computer and here's, you know, the keys to the bathroom or whatever, all those things that allow you to work that when you go to a normal workplace, your boss provides to you, right? So the GSA provides that to the incoming administration and says, okay, here's some workspace and here's some money to pay those people. And right. Like that's, that's what the sticky wicket is right now is that's all being held up by that individual. Yeah. So basically uh, what you have, Nia, is the election is the first week, effectively the first week of November. And then we have inauguration the third week of January. So you're basically talking about a month and a half, seven weeks um, for the executive branch to change hands from one administration to the next. So all the things that you just described has to occur in seven weeks. And we're not talking about you know, a mom and pop grocery store or gas and sip on the side of the road, okay, in rural America. We're talking about, okay, a business. The executive branch of the United States government manages $4.5 trillion effectively worth of assets that's the size of the federal government budget this past fiscal year and you thought your taxes were complicated (laughs) yeah right so 4.5 trillion dollars worth of homes boats cars personnel okay programs that start with the federal government are passed through to state governments and then passed through to local governments 
we're talking about millions of personnel that are career civil servants who are kind of sort of waiting to find out who their new boss is going to be come January, right? So that transition starts with, and I kid you not, <laughs> a letter, an official document from the head of the GSA that says to the incoming presidential administration, I am releasing roughly $10 million for you to set up the new government of the United States of America. This letter also authorizes you in your transition team to set up government emails. And for those of you who've ever tried to set up an email where your employer is the government, you know how many days that can possibly take. Oh man, <laughs> that can take two or three weeks depending on the size of the organization and the complexity of the of the email system. I don't even wanna think about what the DOD's email system is like, right? Cause yeah, right? with okay. all the secret military stuff and the FBI, the CIA, I mean, that's no small undertaking just by itself. Okay. Uh, Nia's already mentioned. But also workstations. Okay, well, that, that's where I was going next. Oh, sorry. Okay. No, 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 no. You were talking about office space, right? Various federal laws, most of which have been passed, okay, in roughly the last 60 years, but a whole bunch of them, okay, in the last 10 years, okay, these federal laws require the GSA to provide office space for the incoming presidential team um, so that they can start to meet with existing bureaucrats and all those federal agencies, right? Um, then you're also talking about uh, setting up <clears throat> classified briefings, okay? In addition to classified briefings, Nia, you're also talking about the vetting of everybody that's going to work in the executive office of the president for President Biden. And then once they determine who's going to lead the departments that comprise the cabinet, all those people have to be vetted. They have to have background checks done. In Internal prior to going to the Senate for confirmation. That's right. Okay. okay. And all of this cannot start until the director of the GSA says, I acknowledge that you are the next president of the United States. And you now have the authority to spend this money, to occupy this office space, to meet with these individuals who currently work in the executive branch of the United States government. And more importantly, if you're a national security uh, fan, aficionado, if you will, getting briefings, okay, classified briefings from agencies like the CIA, Homeland Security, Department of Defense, the State Department, you know, the kind of sort of things that you would like to have a president and, the, you know, the president staff fully versed on before they take office on January 20th. And that has been the tradition for a long time, right, that they get those briefings. Yes. yes. Once the, okay, wait, so the word here is ascertainment apparently yes. there must be an ascertainment that there was an election that it happened and that there is a transition of power yes that needs to take place and the, the person and, and forgive me i don't remember her name emily murphy emily murphy has not yet ascertained this as of this recording which is 
oh, we should tell people we're recording on Friday the 13th, so don't be surprised if a meteor hits the earth while we're doing that, because it's Friday the 13th in 2020, so anything can happen. Um, yeah, and you're yeah. hearing this the week after, so if you've survived and you're hearing this, yay! Um, and if not, I guess it doesn't matter anyway. Um, but so as of right now, that has not happened. Right. She correct. has not released those funds. She's not released the keys to the various offices and buildings and warehouses and wherever. So there's sort of a holding pattern. And yes. we're eating up those 72 days between election, election and, inauguration. and inauguration. Yes. Yes. So in and, good news, yeah, go ahead. Joe Biden has actually been at this rodeo before. Yes. Right. So, I mean, he's not coming in completely cold with the I have no idea how the government works. Yeah, because he was vice president um, uh, uh, for the uh, President Obama's administration in 2008. Okay. Um, uh, he actually got to experience, according to scholars, one of the smoothest presidential transitions. Okay of recent vintage. Oh, really? So the Bush to Obama was yes, considered Bush 43's transition was truncated because of the uncertainty about the election in 2000. Ah. So he, he, it was not until the second week of December that the Supreme Court said Florida must stop recounting votes and effectively gave Bush the election of victory. So Bush had roughly, what, four and a half weeks? And, and you and I both know this because, you know, you got your, you know, uh, one of your master's degrees in Homeland Security, and I've taught Homeland Security courses. One of the findings of the 9-11 Commission was that one of the possible reasons why the United States government was caught unaware of the 9-11 attacks um, in 2001 was that the Bush administration um, struggled to incorporate the briefings they were receiving from the Clinton administration and having enough time to put into place their national security team. I mean, that's yeah, that's what I was going to say. So Biden's not really the issue. The issue is all the people who work under Biden who have not been in those positions before. Yes. And need to learn the position and the structure and all that other sort of inner working while they're getting up to speed on the actual information involved. Yeah. Uh, a really good book. So listeners. it's not hurting Biden. It's hurting all the people below. Yeah, it's hurting the administration. Biden, as an individual, as a president, receives information from various departments, heads of those departments, the national security team, okay, the uh, national economic team, okay, all those advisors. But those individuals have to be, if you will, found vetted and that can't not start until the GSA produces the as Nia called it the ascertainment letter I have ascertained that you are the next president and therefore because you are the next president all of this treasure becomes now yours right okay well, can I I, I need to fuss about something here for me. You know, I'm fired up about this. I know you're um, fired up about this. $10 million is the loose change that the government finds under its couch cushions yes. when it goes looking for money. $10 million is nothing in terms of how many billions of dollars are spent by the federal government every year. So releasing $10 million and then reversing 
that the election results, if that were to happen, which by the way, it's not going to happen because Arizona was called this morning for, um, for incoming President Biden, right? So like this is done. As far as as far as we can tell, this is done. But let's just say, for instance, that it wasn't. Wouldn't it be better to have them prepared and have blown $10 million, which I know is a lot of money to you and me, but again, nothing to the federal government, rather than hold well, on I mean, in some sort of weirdo, yeah. I want to punish this election? I mean, like... I. It doesn't make any sense to me just from the sheer amount of money involved. $10 million is a lot to the Biden campaign to come up with to do its own transition. Well, and moreover, Nia, federal election, federal election laws prohibit the spending of election money on governance. Oh, okay. So they can't do it. They cannot They can't pay for their own. No, they cannot. So okay. holding on to this is of a practical matter in, incredibly bad. And, and moreover, the reason why all of these laws, and by the way, our research guide will have these laws posted, but the reason why Congress went ahead and produced all of these transition laws was to avoid this kind of situation was to provide a smooth transition. It's the recognition that the most dominant branch of the federal government, whether you like it or not, whether it was the intent of the framers or not, the most dominant branch of the federal government, the most important branch to be functioning from day one is the executive branch. And the well, executive yeah, because Congress theoretically is deliberative. Yes. So even if they all came in on a brand new election, like every single member was replaced, all 535, there's not an emergency they need to be taking care of. It, but there is it, clearly an emergency that the presidential branch needs to be taking care of in the form of COVID, but also all the things that crop up daily that have to be taken care of. Yes. So, I mean, and in, 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 in this is why... Part of the reason why listeners, Nia and I are so fired up about this is that we think it's unconscionable for the incoming Biden administration not to be receiving daily intelligence briefings. Oh, yeah, that's the part I'm really angry okay. about. The rest of it, I I guess I could, okay. I don't know. I'm, I'm mad about that too, but I'm, I'm mad about our security as a nation. But, I mean, one of the, the, the most impactful books of, re uh, of recent vintage that I've read, and I've assigned it in a number of my classes, is uh, reporter Michael Lewis's book, The Fifth Risk. In The Fifth Risk, Michael Lewis looks at transitions and how important they are to the functioning of the federal bureaucracy. And one of the chapters focuses on the Department of Energy. Now, on the surface, many Americans, and I have to admit, before I read the book, I'm like, oh, the Department of Energy, okay, uh, probably ties into the current debate about weaning the country off of fossil fuels for energy purposes and finding, if you will, alternative sources of energy for a country that has a huge appetite for energy, right? But really, the Department of Energy's most important work, according to many in the bureaucracy, is knowing where every single nuclear weapon is in the world. You know what? I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think that's pretty important. I think it's hugely <laughs> important, right? We, uh, we seem to have lost number 4,226. Anybody have any idea where it might be? Like, that's no, not a thing I ever want to hear. Yeah, you never want to have the Secretary of the Department of Energy say, hey, in news today, we've lost five nukes. No, you don't want to if, hear that. If anybody sees them, please call 1-800-FIND-A-NUKE. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. You know, we don't want signs on telephone poles saying, have you seen my dog? Have you seen 
you know, my nuke, my nuke. <laughs> with a picture on there. <laughs> yeah, right. Please phone Rick yeah, Perry so. and then the number for the Department <laughs> of Energy. Energy. But it's not only uh, we're joking, but that's really serious. That's but a really not only our stockpile thing. of nukes. It's knowing where the nuclear weapons are around the world. Well, right after the USSR failed. Yes. Lots okay. of things just disappeared. Disappeared, right? And we spent quite a bit of time and treasure trying to track them down and figure out who had the nukes. Yeah. All right. Because that's scary. I mean, I, I mean, and any government that has nukes can also fail. And if their government fails, the same thing will happen again. People will walk off of stuff. Yes. So, you know, this is kind of sort of important in regards to, you know, the, the security of the world. Right. Right. And because so many countries, again, we could go ahead and debate this in another podcast episode, but because so many uh, nation states around the world kind of sort of rely on the United States to know who has nukes, who doesn't. Yeah, we keep big giant databases of things like that. Yes, right? The rest of the world just like, well, what, what did the Americans say? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, in part because, you know, we, we are the hegemon. Right. You know, we are, you know, one of the dominant world powers. But the other thing is we have a reputation for around the world for kind of sort of knowing this stuff. Right. Other nations rely on us. So it's really important that whoever is part of the buying transition team. OK. And by the way, the, when we talk about a presidential transition team. They're usually broken up into subgroups. Of course they are, because it's the government, right? <laughs> you know, the government has a committee, then you have a subcommittee. Okay, you break it down by subject, right? So the buying transition team already has a, a justice, if you will, subteam or subcommittee that focuses on the Department of Justice um, and legal matters, right? There's another one on interior and energy. There's another one for de uh, defense. There's another one for secretary of state. But the transition team should be able to meet with individuals for classified briefings because they need to know, hey, who should we pick to run this particular agency? Because we just found out that, for instance, in regards to nukes, that Korea not only has a couple, but really they have maybe two dozen. I'm, that's a hypothetical, right? Yeah, we don't actually know that. Yeah, we don't know that, right? But that's and an important we, thing for us to find out. That's right. And, and to have negotiations about. Yes. So, you know, are there troop movements in a part of the world that's really, really important to us, right? right. Um, are a couple nation states, for instance, in the Middle East now getting along, or are they not getting along any longer? This is the kind of thing that you would find out in a State Department briefing or a CIA briefing, right? Uh, there's another fascinating chapter, by the way, in Lewis's book, The Fifth Risk, where he talks about the Department of Commerce. Nia, do you know which agency within the Department of Commerce has the largest line item budget in the Department of Commerce? Is it census? No. It should it, be. It's the national <laughs> it's the national Sorry. weather it's the National Weather Service. Oh, yeah, the that makes sense, service right? Is in the Commerce Department. And that makes sense. Well, it's not makes sense <laughs> that it's in the Commerce Department. I don't understand the, sometimes the organization of the agencies. Um, sometimes I think it's just done to vex me, but um, but, 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 again, but the weather, think about the weather and its effect on the world, world. not just on the United States, but hurricanes that hit um, Mexico, typhoons that hit in Southeast Asia, the, those things are enormously important to American interests, both security wise and lives, American lives around the world needing to be people needing to be alerted to things that's that's enormous that's something that we that everybody in the world and 
yes, there are other models. The European model, they do a regular weather model. But what, what they find is that when they, when they combine the models is when they get the best predictions, when they look at a whole bunch of different models. So if we're not functioning in that way, we, we hurt the rest of the world. And one of the most fascinating anecdotes in Lewis's book is the individual who eventually was appointed by uh, the Trump administration to run the Commerce Department, Wilbur Ross, um, which, who some of you may know of because of the various controversies about administering the 2020 census. Ross had no idea that the largest, if you will, unit of the Commerce Department was the National Weather Service. Most of my students, when they read the book, they're like, really? The National Weather Service is in the Commerce Department. And then when they read how much data the National Weather Service collects and the agreements that the U.S. National Weather Service has with weather services around the world, it's a trove. It's a treasure trove of data. Data that not only you know, tracks what's going on with weather, but all the things that you mentioned, okay? Lives that could be lost because there's gonna be a cyclone or a tornado. Um, uh, uh, the, the ability to go ahead and predict how weather will impact the growing of crops. Right. Which is not as much as important in the United States, okay? Because- We, we don't have, experience world famine that way, but- we, but if a cyclone hits Southeast Asia, right. okay, it could devastate a nation for a generation, a generation. Right. If, right? If, if they lost a, a sufficiently uh, monocultured, like for instance, if they lost rice, when that's the staple of the diet yes. in a nation, it, it, then you see the potato famine all over again. I mean, you see these enormous impacts of oh. how weather, okay, can seriously. Yeah, and if ahead. you're going to go all capitalist and say, I don't care about the other countries, it's all every person for themselves and whatever, um, then you could also say the weather also affects air travel, which air travel and ship travel are how we move goods around the world. Yes. So yeah. if I'm moving live chickens, I've only got so many days that I can sit on the tarmac somewhere waiting to be able to deliver them into a country before they die. Like that's, that's just fact, which means that you lose all of that money. But, but, I mean, there's, a, there's enormous, there's enormous effects. There's a lots of reasons to keep up with that kind of thing. And it, we're focusing a lot on the weather, but it's because everybody's affected by the weather, everybody. But it's an example of how important transitions are. Right. Because, you know. The weather, by the way, doesn't care what political party you belong to. No, in Nia, you, you are correct. We have an incoming presidential administration um, where the president is an experienced Washington, D.C. insider. He served in the United States Congress for decades, former vice president, okay? So in many ways, um, he kind of sort of knows, you know, what the job of president entails. But the most important thing that you emphasized a few moments ago was that Everybody else who runs departments, who runs agencies, all that information, what's currently going on in the government has to be relayed, has to be communicated. If not, then you're talking about a presidential administration that is behind the learning curve because there's so much that goes on in the government that does not get reported, okay? is not shared on social media. Because let's face it, most of us who are government workers, and it doesn't matter if you work at VCU or if you work in you know, Patrick County in Southside, Virginia, or if you work in you know, the labor department 
most of what us what we do, the press isn't interested in. Uh, yes, but, in fact, at VCU, we try very hard to stay out of the press. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Let us not do things that will make us end up in the press. And in fact, most government workers don't want to end up in the press because if they do, they've done something that's yeah the, career ending, life altering, like, you know. I have a, a, I have a bunch of friends who work in the federal bureaucracy and they like to joke. There are two phone calls or two emails you, you never want to get as a federal bureaucrat. One, the press wants your your comment on a particular situation. <laughs> Two, you've been requested to testify in front of a congressional committee. Exactly. Internal affairs would like to speak to you or the press would like to speak to you. Right. Hopefully you go your whole career without either That's one of right. those things. Okay. But there's but, so much but, there's, there's a lot of things to learn to do in order to do those jobs. That's right. Okay. And, and listeners, Nia and I have talked about this um, kind of sort of offhandedly in a number of podcast episodes that one of the reasons why Donald Trump, okay, oftentimes struggled as president is that he came to the government from the private sector. Right. And we make assumptions if we don't work in government agencies about what they do and the importance of their work, et cetera. And that's particularly the case if you are somebody like a Donald Trump who works in the private sector, where frequently you view the government as an obstacle to what you want to do, okay, in your corporation or with a land deal or refurbishing uh, or building a new hotel, whatever the case may be. But when you go to work in the government, then you find out what the government does. But also, all of the red tape, and I know red tape has a negative connotation because red tape refers to all of the rules, procedures, standard operating procedures, forms forms that need to be followed. But that's part of accountability in government. Right. So, you know, if you're going to go ahead and take over the Commerce Department and it's, you know, two years before the next census, you should probably get a really thorough briefing of what goes into administering the census, right? And you should probably realize that from the 2010 census to the 2020 census, they started right after the 2010 census closed, making adjustments to the 2020 census. They started talking about how to do questions. They started sending out sample surveys and getting people to talk about what they liked and didn't like about the form, what they didn't, didn't like about the questions, what they didn't understand so they could try to make it as clear for the next one going forward. So by the time Wilbur Ross got into that position, those people had already been doing a lot of that work already. That's the other thing that people don't realize about presidential. I hate to be ugly, but I'm just going to say it. Presidents come and go. But people who work at the census off, census, or people who work at the Library of Congress, I can speak to my people more, the Library of Congress. I know people who've worked at the Library of Congress their entire career, 30 years. Yes. Some of them 35 years. They're like, yeah, yeah, president, whatever. Not because they don't respect the president, but because their day to day work goes on from administration to administration. The Library of Congress is still going to catalog books, get them on the shelves and check them out to people. Like Those things are going to happen no matter who the president is. Yes. So that's the other part of it is you need to understand the bureaucracy you're about to be in charge of and where they are in the in their systemic work because it is systemic. It goes it goes on for generations. I mean, think about for instance the Internal Revenue Service. They have a peak period that is, you know, basically uh, the end of winter through early summer. Right. And once they've processed all of the American tax returns, then they pretty much got to go ahead and do what you just described in regards to the census, but they got to do it every year. 
because then they got to go ahead and gear up in the summer and early fall for what are the changes to the tax code? What are the problems we saw with the tax returns that we just processed? And are we seeing new scams, new frauds? Okay, the new ways that Americans are using to get out of paying taxes. And then they got to go ahead and gear up all of that, okay? Because, you know, most American employers uh, issue, uh, uh, what's the uh, tax form? Uh, what is it? W-2s, okay? Okay, which go ahead and basically tell you, you know, how much money you earned and how much money was taken out of your paycheck for the taxes. Okay, those those get issued by employers typically in January, right? Right. They have to be by law sent to you by January 31st. That's right. Okay. So, you know, Excuse me. if you've never been... <laughs> The head of the IRS, IRS. you come in in January, right, with the new administration, administration. you don't get to say in March, you know, I think we ought to do this differently this year. Yeah, too bad. Everybody says, uh, oh, no, we already decided that last year. It's kind of like when you were telling us about the budget. Budget. The first budget that Biden gets is going to be the last budget that Trump passed. It's not going to That's be right. the Biden budget. The first Biden budget will be in the second year yes. of the Biden presidency, because that's yes. how the government works. The government rolls on regardless of, you know, there, millions of workers today are working in the, in the federal government, regardless of who's going to be the next president. Yes. Yep just like they were four weeks ago, regardless of who was going to be the next president. There's there, there you know, your average middle level worker is going to keep working no matter who the president is because they're not a political appointee. That's right. They're, they're a, civil service. Right. Yep. They're in the First, civil service. Yeah. I mean, there are any number of metaphors, listeners. You know, one of the ones I'm fond of is the federal government is a really huge ship. <laughs> once it gets going in a certain direction if you want to go ahead and turn it around it takes a lot of time to turn it around it takes a whole bunch of people okay who understand what you want to do how you might want to get there but also that you've clearly communicated okay the extent to which you want to turn around the government just so the ship can actually turn even right. slightly the mechanics slightly. of it okay right. when they pass something to change the taxes yeah. they almost, congress almost always makes sure that it starts in the next year because if they didn't then that irs's hair would fall out in clumps saying we can't do it that quickly like we can't make this happen in a month. It's got to happen. Some change to the tax code has got to start next fiscal year or next calendar year when the when the clock restarts, which is why in December they don't say, hey, we decided to change the tax code for this year because the IRS can't can't move that quickly. That's right. Okay. You're trying to talk, you know, 330 million Americans and what, 200 million of them file tax forms. Yes. So that's not, that's not something you can change in a week or a, or, a, or a month. That's something that takes a year to be filtered in and changed and then added to the, you know, to the future. So that's why when there are things like when President Trump suspended um, student loan payments, the IRS said, blah, 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 and had to re-gear everything yes. to try to figure out what they were going to do with that. And I appreciate why he did that. And there are reasons why he did that. It's not was not an unreasonable choice on the president's part or anything like that. Well, yeah, not we're not talking about the politics of it. It's just that right. when you go ahead and change something like repaying student loans, it forces a federal agency to all of a sudden stop what an they're doing yeah an enforcement right. measure um and and, and, and again 
and then have to come up with a plan for restarting. That's the other thing is they've had to warn people how it's going to be restarted and what's what are the what are the outcomes of this and yeah. How about the how how about just the sheer number of messages that had to be sent out to credit reporting agencies so that Americans who are who had student loans that they were paying back would no would not get dinged on their credit reports because they weren't repaying their student loans. Right. Or hounded by creditors or Yeah, yeah. right. I mean exactly. So <laughs> it's not as simple as book yeah right you know hey i wish it was but okay and 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 that's why you know i i i tell students i tell uh those who ask me you know president presidential transitions um are are so important uh in so many ways and you know throughout our country's history we've actually had examples of presidential transitions that haven't gone well. Oh, right? okay. okay. That haven't well, gone well. You mentioned Clinton Bush, and part of that is because of the election, the timeliness right? of it. But that wasn't Clinton dragging his feet with the "I'm not going to help you." No. Okay. No, there, there wasn't any of that. Though there were reports that some of the Clinton staffers were pretty juvenile in regards to how they left their offices, etc. Oh, because <laughs> they took all the e key. <laughs> One office, they took all the E keys off of their keyboards. Yes. Like, come on. That's just being a jerk. Okay. Like, but, okay. So petty. Yeah. Uh, there are, if you will, a, co- a couple classic examples uh, in our nation's history. Uh, one was the transition uh, between President Buchanan to President Lincoln. Um, uh, Buchanan um, uh, uh, basically, uh, was very sympathetic to the South, um, and, um, had actually publicly reported what the Supreme Court's decision was going to be in the Dred Scott case, um, in an effort, if you will, to, uh, rein in, uh, Northern abolitionists who wanted to end slavery. Uh, Lincoln um, was very critical of that, was very critical of that in the 1858 Senate race that he lost to Stephen A. Douglas. Um, Buchanan did not appreciate the criticism, didn't appreciate the critique that Lincoln made uh, when he was running for president in 1860. Buchanan, by the way, was not uh, uh, did not run for re-election. Uh, the Democratic Party did not pick him to represent um, in the 1860 presidential election. But, ouch. Yes, yeah, <laughs> big ouch, right? I mean, that's not a normal, right? That's not no, a normal no. thing with presidents. Usually you're considered the head of your party, your good party. for good or for ill, and yeah. we're yeah, behind we, you because you're the president. Yeah, there are only a few times to where political parties have actually pushed back against incumbent presidents and told them, don't run, or if you want to run, we're going to go to convention and we're going to pick somebody else. Uh, The most recent example of that was um, LBJ. Democratic Party leaders explicitly told LBJ, if you run for re-election, yes, the party will probably pick you, but you will lose and you will hurt the party. Wow. Yes. Yeah. I did not realize that. I've only yeah. ever heard the speech where he said, I will not accept your yeah. nomination for president. Yeah. Like he just basically pulled himself out of the race. No. I didn't realize that he had been told. But isn't it similar to when, no, because Nixon was already elected when they went to him and said, you need to resign. Yeah. You need yeah. To resign or we're going to boot you and it's not going to look good. So yeah. anyway, Buchanan's all peeved and is, so what did he do? Did he just, he basically, Give Lincoln the runaround? Like, no, he basically just left office and did not brief Lincoln, okay, on the extent of the threat of Southern states wanting to secede. <laughs> well, that didn't turn out well, did it? <laughs> wow. You want to talk about... Uh, and by the way, you're leader. about to have a civil war, except he didn't say anything. What a jerk. Okay. You know, so, you know, Lincoln takes like a 10-day train trip from Illinois to D.C. 
and is kind of sort of shocked a day and a half out from Washington, D.C., when his train has to get redirected because of um, uh, uh, Southern supporters in Maryland uh, were planning on ambushing uh, the president-elect's train, right? And it's like, you know, at that point, you know, uh, according to uh, Doris Kern, Kern Goodwin's book, Team of Rivals, it was at that point that the incoming Lincoln administration was like, whoa, <laughs> this might be more serious than we were led to believe, right? <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. So that's a jerk yeah. move. Okay. Uh, the other classic example is the transition between uh, President Herbert Hoover and Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Um, Hoover requested multiple times to meet with FDR and his transition team to talk about how to manage the Great Depression, uh, which was getting worse in 1932, and FDR refused. Um, FDR said he did not want to have any kind of connection um, or be associated with anything that the outgoing president was doing because in part FDR said, I ran against your economic policies, so I don't want to be beholden or limited to whatever policies you come up with between the election and the inauguration. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with you. <laughs> I don't want people to even put our names in the same sentence. <laughs> That's pretty intense. Yeah. Although, I mean, I can, I guess I can see where you wouldn't want to be associated with what were then failing policies. Yes. Right. Cause Hoover led, led, led us to Hoovervilles. I mean, he led us to some yeah, I mean, you serious know, you economic know, problems because he didn't do things in the early part of the, the great depression, uh, the yeah. depression that could have helped to mitigate. Um, he froze, he panicked basically. I mean, he yeah. froze. There were things he yeah. didn't do yeah. that he could have done. I, I panicked is too strong a word, but he froze. Um, so I can see, and I also can see Patrician FDR not taking a call. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, like I, I don't have to, yeah. I, I don't have to respond to you and I'm not going to. Dude, that's the president of the United States. Take the freaking call. Yeah. Like now we would do, we would take the call even if it was a president we didn't care for because or at least I think most of us would, but maybe I, that's not true if, if there's- Well, I mean, what, get, what gets reported in Michael Lewis's book, The Fifth Risk, really does suggest that one, um, Trump, or at least most of his campaign team, didn't think he was gonna win. So they were ill-prepared for the transition in 2016. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. I mean, the polls uh, it, had it, Hillary Clinton so far ahead. ahead. Yeah, I, it, it and, was. I mean, if, if half the stuff that Lewis put in the fifth risk is true, um, I mean, it, it bordered on gross negligence. I mean, the, the, the Trump team blew off meetings with Obama administration officials to get briefed on what was going on in their agencies. Um, uh, the head of the Trump transition team was former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who got fired, okay, um, uh, in regards to the spending of the infamous $10 million. Chris Christie was just like, hey, we need to spend this money. We need to get people in these offices. And the Trump the, the Trump transition team was just basically like, no, we want to do things differently. So why should we care how they are currently doing things in the Obama administration? We're here to clean up, you know, the drain, the swamp. So why should we care what they are doing? Yeah. And that's the difference between somebody who was a career politician. Yes. Chris Christie had been in offices in a variety of levels. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. For years and years and years, plus what an attorney general. I mean, like he'd done a lot of different jobs. Um, and he was like, no, no, you need to. And I'm sure as a governor, he had transitioned. 
Of course, a, a yeah, team, right? Yes. So okay. that yeah. must have been very frustrating for him. Yeah, very. Frustrating. And yet, he has still kept coming around, which I find fascinating. But yeah. that's a whole separate podcast issue, which we need to talk about. Which I think, I think of as incidents of betrayal which I would love for us to talk about at some point, the sort of when you throw people under a bus and how that affects <laughs> government. See, I, 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 Neo, when you, when you gave that example, my mind actually went in a different direction. We need to have a podcast episode to talk about um, the future of the two dominant political parties in the United States, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. Well, yeah, we definitely need to do that. Uh, because Chris look, we have at least two more episodes to make. <laughs> <laughs> because the way Chris Christie was treated by Trump, um, uh, it, it, it made me feel sad for Chris Christie, and that I'm telling I'm telling us as fans. That I don't usually feel sad for politicians because I mean, generally speaking, I think a lot of politicians on all sides, on all parties, are kind of I'm left with a sort of meh feeling about them. But I was like, oh man, that was kind of harsh. Well, the way Chris Christie and other politicians keep or kept on circling back into the Trump administration orbit reminded me of um, victims of domestic abuse. Oh, yeah, that's true. People who keep going back because yeah, yeah, it, it, there it, are it, all it, kinds of psychological issues. Reason, yeah, right. And, 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 yeah, yeah. and uh, it, to me, it's just been astounding. I mean, because typically I'm like you, right? Um, you know, an elected official, you know that when you're running for office, you're going to get slings and arrows. Right. right. Um, you know, you're going to get criticized by the press, you know, about half the half your constituents probably won't like you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They're going to vote against you. Exactly. <laughs> A whole bunch of those people voted for somebody else. else right. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, and if you're running an executive branch, OK, there's going to probably be a whole bunch of career civil servants who, are gonna, who express the, the view that you mentioned about 10 to 15 minutes ago, which is, hey, presidents, come and go, but I'm going to be in this job for another decade, right? You That's know? right. Oh. <laughs> I'm a G10, and yeah. I'm going to re retire a G15. So <laughs> y'all can say whatever you want to say, well, yeah, right? but I've heard it all before. Or, yeah, right? Okay. You know, you want me, you know, to uh, uh, use a different work process? Okay, fine. We tried this about 15 years ago. It didn't work out all that well, right. but hey, whatever. But you're the new guy, so uh, yes. we'll just go where you want to go. Healthy, right? I do want to ask you, though, about transitions as far as something that, I, um, that I've been wondering about. Uh, I think you and I had briefly touched on this in one of the previous episodes, but if we haven't, we'll just mention it here. I, it seems to me that there are currently replacements happening in the government that are like, I think it's a terrible time to be replacing people. Yeah. Because yeah. the transition is already a weird time where people don't really know quite what's happening, quite when it's all going to switch from one thing to another. You know what I mean? Like, there's no solid date of, okay, on January 10th, we're all going to do this thing. Like, it doesn't work that way because transitions don't work that way. Um, just like when you move into a house, I think you gave the example that, you know, it's like moving into a house, you got to unpack all your stuff and you got to figure out where to hang all your pictures. Yeah. And, no, and no that one... takes a while. Like, that's not a thing that happens on day one. It takes a while. Nobody really likes it. I mean, I've I've met maybe one or two people, okay, in all the decades I've been alive, who likes to move and unpack. Yeah, right? I'm one of those people. I okay, love it. well, you know, God bless you. Okay, right. Because but I happen to know that I'm also in that way, probably in the DSM five. Because yeah. I know that I'm not normal for that. Because most people really hate 
moving and they hate the unpacking. They hate all that stuff. They want it done. They want to show up and have it done, but that's not how it works. No. So this seems like a terrible time. It's kind of like, so let's follow that analogy. So the stuff arrives at your house. And instead of trying to do it in some orderly fashion, you just start picking up boxes and opening them and pouring the stuff on the floor to see what's, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is not a time to be, once you have all the movers packed all your stuff, it's not the time to change moving companies. No, right? So uh, I don't really understand what's going on unless this is just cleaning house because of of resentment over the election. Election, or, yeah. I mean, because, you know, you know, to continue with the moving on unpacking analogy, it's like you picked a different moving company at the last moment. Okay. They deliver the stuff, but you're not at the house. Okay. You invite strangers to come in and decide. <laughs> okay. Because effectively, that's what President Trump has already done with a couple, couple rather important uh, departments. I mean, this week um, uh, uh, he uh, fired the uh, department, uh, the secretary of the Department of Defense. Um, it's been leaked that he's considering uh, doing that for a couple other uh, departments. And, you know, this is just a really bad time. Um, and you and I have already talked about this before. The morale of career civil servants in the federal bureaucracy is probably at, at, at its lowest in decades. Um, and um, I truly wonder, I, I suspect Biden has been briefed on this, but I truly wonder if the American population understands um, the difficult job Biden is gonna have as the head of the executive branch um, coming into the office. I mean, because right, you talked last time about a divided government or a couple of times ago, I guess, sure. about a divided government and a, an agenda that some people in his party want to be faster, more aggressive, more um, progressive than he's prepared to be yes. just by nature and also by where he is position wise. Yes. So there's there's a lot of things that he has like that, but it almost seems like, and, and I'm I don't want to um, accuse the president of doing something he's not doing, but it almost seems like there is a deliberate effort to make it harder. Yeah. To make this transition harder. Make it by harder. holding back the money, by firing people at the last minute, so that internally organizations are un are, are unsettled so yes. that when they're handed over they're more unsettled than they would have been and i don't know that that's i i again i don't want to ascribe a motive to president trump that he does not have um i don't think that's fair or respectful but if that's what it feels like it feels like that that's what's happening and i think in part that may be because in president trump's world transition is very simple you're fired I've hired someone else and we're done. Like it's, there is no, like in corporations, one person doesn't generally hand off to the person who gets hired for their job. No. That person is gone before the next person starts. Yeah. So it may be that he's just not in the mindset of transitions the way they generally have worked in governments where there is a person who tells the next person, okay, this is what I did and this is where I was trying to go. And these are the mistakes I made. You might wanna not do those things. Yeah, I mean, and again, to me, what's fascinating is the, and, and like you, I'm not going to impugn a negative motive for what's currently going on, um, uh, but, I always point to exemplars of phenomenon that went well and try to figure out why they went well. And say what you will about the Bushes as presidents, but two of the more successful presidential transitions have occurred between uh, Bush 41 and Bill Clinton and Bush 43 and Barack Obama. And to me, what's noteworthy about both of them is they, one, 
graci graciously accepted they were no longer president, okay? And in, in particular for Bush 41, he had to go ahead and turn over the keys to the car, if you will, to the person who beat him in the election. Right. You imagine how difficult that is? Right, to be civil when you're doing that would be hard. Yeah, it's gotta be hard, you know? I mean, that's an imme immense public embarrassment. Yeah, I mean, you imagine, you know, driving down Pennsylvania Avenue with the person who just beat your head in in an election, yeah. right? Okay, that can't be cool. I mean, by right. no account, right? But everything that we have heard and everything that President Clinton has said is that his job as the new president was made so much easier because Bush 41 insisted that his administration treat the next administration with respect and give them what they needed so they could, you know, hit the ground running. And well, because it's and about the nation, it's not about yourself. Self, that's right. It's and, about you know, making sure that the nation is taken care of. Yes. As much as you're able to do it. And, and Barack Obama has said the same thing about the Bush 43 administration. Bush 43 made it very clear to his executive office of the president, to the vice president, to cabinet secretaries, you will do everything that we are required by law and more and more. Right. Um, you will leave people big giant notebooks with. Yes. Things that, with, yes. that with what's what you've done and where you were going and you know, can the, I ask you one final question to sort of yeah end us on yeah <laughs> do you think that President Trump will leave a letter for President Biden no in what and when did that start is that a I don't know when it started I'm aware that most modern presidents um um, most modern presidents have done this, of course, with the exceptions of uh, FDR and JFK, who died in office. Right, who were unable to do it. But I know yeah. Eisenhower did it. I think Truman did it. Sorry, you were going to explain. But but Nixon, of course, didn't because you know he was forced to resign. Um, I know Ford did. I'm pretty sure Carter did. Of course, Reagan didn't have to because he basically turned over the office to his VP. Um, <laughs> right. Um, Although he might have. just Yeah. Because. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a tradition um, that should occur. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, listeners. I think some traditions need to be reexamined or tradition should be uh, re-examined on a regular basis, but this one of writing a letter as the outgoing president to the incoming president um, is the kind of civil gesture that speaks well to the best of our angels. And when you when read it, them, they're 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 really. Yeah. moving in their way. These are men with enormous power who are saying this office has enormous power and cautioning their their successors often about things both specific and general, but also they almost always pledge support. Yes. If you get a chance you know, of the president going forward. Listeners, if you get a chance and um and me and I will try to find a copy of this, I think it's 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 been made public, uh, Bush 41's uh, letter to Bill Clinton. Okay, um, if I can find that, I will log, I will link it on the research guide. For, yeah, because um, again, that, that it's the kind of thing that uh, listeners, Nia and I uh, attempt to expound upon with this, this podcast, um, which is, and, and, and again, I mean, whether you liked Bush 41 or not, but, but just try to put, put yourself into his shoes. 
He had just lost the election um, to the person who was, you know, going to be coming into his office. Um, this was the culmination of a life of career, career service, you know. And he wasn't done. I'm yeah, sure he, was, he thought he had things yeah, still to yeah. do. Yeah, there was other things that he wanted to do. Um, but if you read that letter, um, it speaks so well of the kind of person that Bush 41 was, but also what I think, or at least I hope, um, we are capable of achieving going forward. But to your question, I'm not all that convinced that uh, our 45th president will produce such a letter for our 46th president. Yeah, I feel like the acrimony is so high right now that it might be hard to do that. And he might be able to do that in the future. When there's some distance, he might be able to communicate something going forward. But right now, I, I think it's probably awfully acrimonious. Yeah. So, but where there's going to be a transition, because as you have pointed out to me, um, President Biden will be president, or excuse me, Vice President Biden will be President Biden on January 20th, regardless of whether yes. anyone has taken over any keys or any money <laughs> or any anything, yep. this will happen. Yes. It, yes. This is inevitable. It is the wave that is coming towards you on the beach and you can hold out your hand and yell stop all you want, but the wave doesn't have ears and it's not gonna matter. It's yeah, gonna wash over right. you anyway. Yep. So, yep. So for those who are concerned that there might not be a transition, there will be a transition. Yeah, I mean, the I firmly is, believe that there will be a transition. Yeah, and I, I firmly mean, believe that it will not be in the middle of a civil war. Um, yeah, I, but, I, you know, yeah, but, I just don't believe that's going to happen. I think we're going to have a transition. I think it's going to be bumpy and ugly, like some of these past transitions were. Um, but in the end, it is inevitable. Yeah, that's the kind of, you know, that's the thing about, you know, 220 plus years of democracy. <laughs> it's, it's inevitable. Okay. Thank you so much, Augie. Have a good weekend, Nia. <laughs> you too. Bye. Bye. <laughs>